You are listening to the Group Therapy Podcast presented by HeroOptic.com, your destination for all things shooting, hunting, and outdoors. Group Therapy, boys. Hello, welcome to another episode of Group Therapy. Today in the studio, we are joined by Jason Bainey, along with a couple guys from Night Force. Uh, if you guys wouldn't mind introducing yourselves as we get in, we all know Bainey, of course. Um, let's start with you, uh, Sean. So, Sean Murphy, I'm the training manager at the company. I've been around since 2011, done some sales stuff, some marketing stuff in the last, I don't know, four or five years doing the training, traveling around, helping people sell them and shoot them. All right, excellent. And uh, you, Drew? Mm-hmm. I'm Drew Wiedenhop. I'm the national sales manager here in the United States. I have worked with the EuroOptic account for several years. Um, since I started with Night Force in 2014, I've, I've been a regular guy. I've been a key account type guy, and now national sales manager. We're happy to have you as our guy, that's for sure. So, Sean, you actually, uh, you, you're a fairly accomplished precision shooter, right? I mean, I've seen you getting lots of awards on the social media. What, uh, what have you done there? Uh, I do get around, shoot a few different matches. Um, last couple of years, been doing a lot of team stuff. Uh, partner Greg, he actually works at Proof Research. Okay. We kind of fell into that. Um, I've had a lot of success on the team stuff, but also like to shoot you know, solo events on the precision rifle side, um, do some other stuff with carbines and pistols. And basically, if it goes bang and it's not a shotgun, I'm pretty interested in it. Two of the three guns, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah. Shotguns are fun, but they're just, you know, I, I like yeah. the rifles and pistols a little Only bit more. accurate. Rifles slash pistols are interesting. I'm with you there. I'm not. I'm not super into shotguns, but they're fun where you need them. Yep. Uh, very cool. Um, now, Night Force has been around for quite a while. Most of my life. Could you could you go into kind of the company history, the background, the corporate structure, how it all lays out worldwide? Sure. So um, we are. Let's see, a little bit over 30 years. Uh, so 1992 is when the company was officially founded. Uh, founded by a gentleman, Dr. Ray Dennis. Um, he's still our owner. He's still involved in the business. Uh, he's the sole owner. We're not corporate owned. We're not, you know, um, you know anything like that. And uh, the biggest <coughs> dentist you'll ever meet. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, uh, it, actually, our company kind of started out of somewhat of a necessity and fulfilling a need. Um, you know, he actually started a, our sister company called Light Force. Um, that actually started as a hunting-like company. Him being an Australian, uh, put his way through dental school and other interests of uh, hunting at night for pelts, you know, foxes, things like that, selling that and, and being very resourceful. And so this is, you know, over 30 years ago. So you can imagine what lights were like and scopes were like back then. And started kind of building his own lights People started liking them, so he started the lighting company. After that, then the scopes needed to be addressed, and mm-hmm. that's kind of where the first iterations of some kind of scope come come about and uh, started the company in the United States. Um, at the time, the the name Light Force was owned by another company from a U.S. perspective, so changed the name to Night Force. That's nice. kind of how we got started. Yeah, Very not good. Night Vision, anything right. just right. yet. Yep. It's certainly usable. Now the first was the first scope was at that five and a half to twenty two varmeter. Uh, yeah, in kind of what's now the Benchrest, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it kind right. of looked a lot like that. Yeah, yeah the varmeter series, and yeah, there's still some out there still mm-hmm. going strong. And um, but uh, yeah, no started started with that uh, based out of North Idaho, so the town of Orofino. So uh, that is the actual. That's headquarters. That is the headquarters for the Night Force. 
yep. as the brand. Yep. So, so the um, Fancy Ourselves in Idaho company, uh, Drew and I are actually based out of the southeast. Um, see, about 2010-ish, started a sales office down there, and that's kind of how we came into the business. And we've, as we've grown, um, we're, you know, when I started, we were less than 100 employees, and uh, now we're knocking the door on 200 and spread across that North Idaho. We've got some folks down in Boise, some marketing, engineering kind of expansion happening there. Um, we're out of the Southeast sales wise, although we're, you know, now we're, mm-hmm. as we keep growing, we're just expanding that footprint. And we still, with uh, our owner's Australian connection, have uh, has some folks down in Australia as well. So truly a global company, but primarily U.S. based and really Idaho centric for the vast majority of our operations and things that we right. do. Because U.S. is the biggest market? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And the, so I, the Georgia is more just handling dealer transactions? Uh, sales, that, yeah. That, we've, that type o- stuff. Over the years, we've had some marketing in and out. We've had some different sales components. But, you know, being you know, kind of in the post-COVID world, we've been a little more remote and tra- really traveling, you know, being able to come up here and do stuff mm-hmm. and not as locked down or a fixed building. Um, get out that's where kind of my jobs come into play and a couple other guys that work with me is we're trying to be more engaged in the get out to the customers and right. support them the you know it's premium products we're trying to give them the premium service and a lot of that's going to the customer or going to where the end users are at and right so, yeah. no it's very valuable for sure so then idaho is more the nuts and bolts that's yep. where they're uh engineering assembling and testing and yeah production machine shop um you know various other activities we have some marketing stuff out of there our admin and our finance all the stuff that you need to run a business also mm-hmm. happens out of there so very um you know the vast majority of the essential functions of the company are there so gotcha gotcha um so i guess can you go into the the u.s facility a little more like what all you guys do at the idaho plant well, we've uh, well production being a big big component to that. That's probably where the most of the space is allocated. Um, we do have a machine shop, make make our own stuff. We also have other key partners around to make stuff for us as well. But um, so that is its own kind of resourcing operations part, materials management, things like that. Whether we do it or you know get it in and test it ourselves to the production side. So whether it's inspecting them um, all the way into assemblies, sub assemblies, whatever. You know, the different products have different amounts of work, so to speak, to go into them. And, uh, you know, so a lot of that, hap- you know, or all of that happens up in there. And then, um, you know, engineering, you know, R&D, you know, whether it's new, you know, next generation future stuff to, you know, revisiting existing products and how can we do it better? How can we make it more efficient or make, you know, things just nicer, last longer, whatever that happens to be. Uh, mm-hmm. Customer services out of there, so they have a connection where, if need be, they can run down to production and check something out or uh, or vice versa. Uh, you know, if it's something that may have popped up as a customer service concern, they can address it right away. And then, um, you know, ad- admin. Very agile on that yep. aspect. Yep. And what, uh, I know you guys have, there's been a lot of videos around about some of the crazy testing that you guys are doing in there. Like what, what kind of testing do these undergo at that facility? So we do, uh, we do a lot, um, you know, testing, you know, the QC process, a lot of people think of it as just the end of the road, you know, okay, now it's put together, let's make sure it works. Um, but testing happens all throughout and, and really the quality comes from that engineering side that, that that's there to the material side, to the quality of the metals and the machine operations or the hand finishing you know, on the turrets. They have a lot of hand burnishings, uh, putting that turret together to make it essentially perfect. 
then uh, so that'll get tested before it goes into a scope or the erector system um, gets tested before it goes into the scope. So we don't put it all together and figure out, ah, oh, this isn't right. Right. Uh, and then it ultimately at the end is, is really what people see or what we, we kind of showcase um, with the highlight of that being the impact test. So we'll check tracking. We'll check to make sure everything works as it should. You know, it's backlash free. It feels right. But then we'll actually basically beat the scope trying to break it. You know, can we get it to lens shift or have the turret not track or debris show up so that we don't want the customer to be our QC department. We're going right. to test these things because we don't have the luxury of knowing, you know, this scope could go out to a police officer that's going to qualify with it and take it on duty or the, some high-level competitive shooter is going to take it to a match and lay it on the line, significant financial investment or just the pride on the line to, you know, a hunter that might have the hunt, the elk hunt of a lifetime or might be flying to somewhere like a Tajikistan where you can't fix that on the fly. Right. So we don't have the luxury of knowing you guys how don't our, always have backups. So exactly. We don't work have right the luxury of knowing where it's going or how it's going to be used. So we want it to work as it should out of the box every time. Well, something, uh, something that's cropped up, um, that this just, that just made me think of, but guys will get, uh, get a scope and there'll be some little piece of debris. And I feel like I had an, uh, eight to 32 NXS years ago, I had a little debris in the one quadrant. I, Mm-hmm. That doesn't bother me because I, I know it happens in everything. Mm-hmm. None of the scopes, no matter if they're one hundred or ten thousand dollars, none of their none of them are immune to having some debris show up once in a while. And as much as uh, as much as for my own stuff, I just like to take it and beat it off of a phone book and clear that piece of debris. It happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it fixes it quite often. People are very averse to actually doing that, but. Probably that shock is not anywhere near mm-hmm. what uh, what you guys are subjecting them to. So hopefully, yeah, well, they, hopefully it's people can, a, an uh, approximate twelve hundred Gs or so. Yeah, I think nice. you that's significant nice. forward and stop. Um, you know, the forward impact, where it's obviously kind of your recoil simulation, but that's where I vector, think yeah. we do different is kind of on the sides, the sides and the top. And so that's where your abuse or stuff happens. You know, the sling breaks on your gun, gun hits the ground or gets knocked off the bench, the shooting Mm -hmm. range or worse, you know, in a military environment, you know, the truck gets blown up or something falls off a pallet or, you know, whatever gets run over. Uh, Weird stuff happens. We have all kinds of crazy customer service stories of you'll never believe what happened. (laughs) It didn't just like keep working. Like, it's, it held zero or this thing literally got blown up and it's a ha- within a half a minute, you know, or kind of thing. It's like that old NXS with the bullet hole through it that exactly. the guy was still using. Exactly. So we, you know, we do a lot of work and a lot of testing to make sure they work that, you know, you want to trust it. You, know, right. you want to be able to, right. to count on it when you need it. Awesome. Awesome. Drew, anything else to add to that part before we move on to what we're looking at here? No, Sean's really good at covering this stuff. <laughs> All right. All right. Not leaving a lot of holes. I think that. he can do that in his sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Drew, can you kind of give us a rundown? I always like to look at things linearly. So maybe start at the bottom budget wise and go all the way up to the top. And we've got most of them here, which Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll talk about a little bit, but if you're Mm -hmm. listening on just the podcast, you won't see them, but there's uh, a lot of hardware on the table. So Mm -hmm. starting at the SHV, if you could fill us in on, on all of the different scope lines. Sure. We'll talk about the scopes that we have here, which are the core of our product line, uh, and where if you look on the website for Euro optic, you're looking around. These are probably the ones that you'll probably land on because they serve most of our customers for most of their purposes. We do have some specialized ones that stand outside of this, specifically from com- competitive use, where if you're specializing in a sport, you might go look for that. 
Right. But otherwise, you'll spend your time looking at our SHV line, which is a direct descendant of a heritage of the NXS, just in a more affordable version. Uh, we wanted to be able to offer Night Force durability and reliability in a package that made it more accessible to folks, whether that was, this is the first real gun that I bought. I bought my first Seekins precision rifle. I'm going to go hunt with it. I want to target shoot a little bit, and I don't want to blow the budget. Right. The SHV is probably your man. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's it's also for the guy who has one of our higher-end scopes and maybe wants a trainer scope for his kid, his dad, something like that, or it's just the appropriate choice for the situation. So if you're sticking in the 985 to 1345 budget, we've got a 3 to 10, some 4 to 14s, and a 5 to 20 that can do every bit as much as the bigger scopes in terms of its capability and durability, just with without the extra features that bring the cost up for the both of right, us. Right. Yeah. And they're all illuminated. Uh, uh, first yes, focal are. and second focal option. Uh, yeah, we only have one first focal plane option. It's the 4 to 14 by 50, but and the others are second focal plane option. Uh, the 5 to 20 and the 4 to 14 by 50 F1. Uh, side yeah. note, if you see F1 on a product listing from Night Force, that means it's first focal plane. Um, those are the only two that have the zero set elevation adjustment, uh, which you can see on the 5 to 20 that we've got here on the table. The idea is it gives you a return to zero feature um, that's perfectly accurate, completely capable, very accessible. If you want something that's got more capability, you might look into our NX-8 family, which is the other side of that traditional NXS legacy design. We had the NXS around for a very long time. It's about 20 years old at this point. And the NXS um, is still still available. Correct. But it's, it's mm -hmm. Reduced options. Right, right. Quite as many. Not, not a million reticles like there used to be. And, mm -hmm. It's getting close to retirement. I, mean, I, yeah. I don't, I don't want to gloss over the, uh, the 2.5 to 10 by 42. That's mm -hmm. one of my all-time favorites because... It can serve anything from inside your house to mm -hmm. a thousand yards. I run one on a little five-pound Barrett Fieldcraft, mm -hmm. and that's a great pairing. I've and hunted, uh, I've hunted with a combo exactly that setup, and it's it, awesome. I've run that thing to a thousand yards uh, with the six-five Creed and that little barrel and that little scope, and mm -hmm. two-thirds Zipsic is in trouble most of the time. Yeah, yeah. so well, it's the two and a half to ten by forty-two is interesting because it has big scope features in a very small mm -hmm. package. So that's why I like it, especially somebody who's familiar with precision rifle scopes and dialing and everything that you'd want to do for long range. It's completely doable in a very compact, yeah. uh, aff reasonably affordable package for what it is. Yeah. So the so the yeah the NXS was was what started all this. I know. 20 years ago yeah. is when I got my first one. Yeah, 99, uh, 2000 yeah. is when the, they were introduced. And when I started in 2011, it was our product line. We had that mm -hmm. and a couple of interest models, but that was the core core of us for mm -hmm. over 12 years at that yep. point. And it really did build build our brand, build our name of that ultra durable. Right. Yeah, if someone had a 50 cal, that's pretty much what everyone was yeah. putting on it 20 years ago was an NXS. Yep, mm -hmm. we did, you know, videos you know i was in some of them where we shot them and we beat them and we threw them yep. and we beat nails in logs and i mean they're incredibly tough mm -hmm. um but at this point it's a 20 year old product and um so that's where we've you know kind of moved into that nx8 but right mm -hmm. that being said you know what's what's fun you know sometimes going to some of the shows with like you guys and things like that oh, i got 30 nxs's i got 55 and a half to 22s because to them, it's their known standard. It's yeah. their Glock 19 of scopes. It's yeah. like, you know what? It works every time. I'm comfortable with it. I bought a new rifle. I put an NXS on it. Yeah. It's very much a frame of reference for yep. our entire brand and our customers so they know what to expect. I'm glad you still have it around, especially that little guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's been very important for us building our company, 
but also maintaining that because if a cust- if we're going to ask a customer to take a look at an NX8, which is the next generation, if you will, of that, we want them to have the same confidence that they had in our NXS in this new product, even though it's a different shape and there's some different features to it. Uh, we think that there's a compelling case to be made for why you would choose an NX8 over an NXS these days. Right. Um, what this family gets you, a 1 to 8, a 2.5 to 20 by 50, or a 4 to 32 by 50, um, is, yeah, compelling is the right word. The NX8 1 to 8 is a first focal plane scope that is smaller than the NXS 1 to 4 was. If you've ever held one of those, you know the size frame there. Yep. Um, it's super capable for small, uh, so very compact what? guns. Right nine inches, nine inches long? Just yeah. under, yep. If you want to add something to augment your shooting experience, like you've got a thermal to go in front of it, so you've got limited real space, it's a great choice. If you want it gives to, you as much real estate as possible. Yeah. If you want to increase the capacity of a gun but keep it small, you've got an SBR, and I might want to zoom in and shoot three, four, five hundred 500 yards with it. Um, the NX-8 1 to 8 is going to be a great choice. Uh, they start about 1750. We've got middle and MOA options, uh, capped elevation, zero-stop elevation versions. There's There's a lot of different options that are available. And then in the in the bigger brothers mm-hmm. of the NX8, they've got mm-hmm. you've got first and second focal plane as That's well correct. there too. Yep, our two and a half to twenty by fifty is very similar in size to the two and a half to ten by forty two mm-hmm. that you like so much. It weighs a couple ounces more, but it's still reasonably svelte at yes. twenty eight ounces uh, relative yeah. to precision rifle scopes. And it's just over a foot long, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so super capable in a very small package. First or second focal plane options, minute and mill options. Uh, at the moment, we have dark earth mill yep. options with a mill XT uh, and the Tremor 3 reticle. So it is it is super capable for somebody who has a do-all gun, whether yep. it's a DMR-type rifle, competitive gas gun, a hunting rifle uh, that you want to use very flexibly. It, it can do a whole lot of stuff. Right. And that was front and center on our very first podcast, or mm-hmm. second. No, that was the first podcast, because mm-hmm. that was the one that we were maybe never going to publish when we did the do-all scopes. <laughs> so yeah. we, uh, we had the... The NX-8 was right square in that video as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was so the overall. The best best all-around yeah. scope deal. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, traditionally, I think, you go back to our old NXS again, but the 3.5 to 15 mm-hmm. was always considered of one scope to do anything. Yep. But now with these, you have a 2.5 to 20, so we're actually mm-hmm. smaller scope. Smaller, a lighter. A couple ounces lighter, more but you actually have more mag range, mm-hmm. similar elevation travel, You know, kind of the updated turrets, the digital illumination, I mean, the NX-8 family at large was, okay, we have this NX-8, it's awesome, and we've brought out, we haven't talked about the ATAC R's yet, let's kind of take what we've learned and combine mm-hmm. them, and what is that next generation NXS that, the NXS was our kind of do-everything scope yep. family, and, mm-hmm. and that's living on in these, mm-hmm. and the 2.5 to 20, I think, really embodies that, I can really put it on any gun and do yeah. anything yeah. with it, right? Same thing with the, in the, in the 4 to 32, I think, is that still probably your most popular mm-hmm version in general it's an interesting debate when you're talking to folks about which one you would want between the two and a half to 20 one inch difference and one ounce right yeah um they're super close in terms of overall dimension Mm that some folks just like the idea of putting the two and a half to 20 on their gun because it doesn't feel like a big scope right but you get a lot more magnification in a four to 32 in a package that's basically the same size as an nxs five and a half to 22 you're not compromising that much on weight um, and you can 
you can see into the future. It's so much magnification, right? But you don't have to use it because you can start it for right, power. Exactly. You don't need it. And if you, you can't use it if you don't have it. Yeah. Well, and and even internally here, and I think uh, the guns were in the rimfire trainer video as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Kiefer and I have both decided on opposing ends. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. run the four to thirty-two on a trainer twenty-two, and then mm-hmm. he runs uh, the two and a half to twenties on his and his and his uh, boys. Yeah, so. my rough rule of thumb, kind of picking between the two, is if you know if on the gun you're going to be a lot of six, eight, ten, twelve power, the mm-hmm. two amp to twenty is about perfect. Yeah. It's a little right. bit smaller. You know, the field of view is pretty close, but it's just a good all around option there. And sometimes you might go a little bit lower and or you know a little bit higher. But if you like that twelve to twenty, mm-hmm. which is where a lot of precision rifle, positional shooting, field of view, scanning wide, things like that, mm-hmm. um, comes into play. I think the the Four to thirty-two, you know, you, you have. I think it's a little bit easier to stay behind at those higher magnifications, and then you have that ability to zoom in from a target ID right. or zeroing low development. Sometimes you want that quasi target scope that has thirty X on it mm-hmm. for shooting just those perfect little bug holes at 100, 200 yards. Um, I like this for ARs specifically, yeah. guys that are going to stretch out ARs. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's one of my favorites. Yeah, if you don't want to go up to like the four to sixteen or four to twenty, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these are only, you know, 1950, 2150 for kind of that base first focal plane, mm-hmm. plus or minus yep. options and reticles. But mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely one of the best. I mean, still like that uh, like that first podcast, you know, still one of the best all-around options out there uh, considering everything. Mm-hmm. Um, that pretty much wraps up the NX-8s. You ready mm-hmm. to go to the attack cars? Yeah. Attackers, uh, actars. <laughs> Like people Advanced like to call them Tactical well. rifle scope. Yeah, I think we should get it once and for all yeah. from Night Force themselves <laughs> to pronounce it so that everyone can just stop <laughs> you, the debate. You got to be careful. I know they like it. ATAC R. Night Force guys. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's an acronym for Advanced Tactical Rifle Scope. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that was what 2013 when we mm-hmm. came out with it. Yeah. I like. To it's morphed into Attacker for sure. <laughs> if yeah. uh, if you're paying for it, call it whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Problem solved. <laughs> so in the ATAC R line, we do have a lot of options. Um, we've got a 1 to 8, uh, 4 to 16 by 42, uh, 4 to 16 by 50, 4 to 20 by 50, 5 to 25 by 56, and 7 to 35 by 56. Many of them offering first and second focal, some of them just offering first or second focal. Um, that's something to sort out when you get really narrowed in on which right. magnification feels right. right to you. But broadly speaking, it is the pinnacle of rifle scope technology that we have to offer. Um, it came from a desire to have better optical performance, better feature sets, especially compared to the NXS, because it came out before the NX-8 did, um, so that it has gobs of elevation adjustment, big tactile adjustments that are easy to use, very user-friendly features like power throw levers. This is one of the first places we began to integrate these. Uh, we have covered windage adjustments that are waterproof without the cover, so you can use it electively. Other things like that, including digital illumination. That was the first place we did that. With the idea that if we could have a dream rifle scope, what would it look like? And it's become the ATAC R family. I think a lot of customers agree with us. Uh, it very quickly became one of our best-selling scopes. Uh, a lot of military customers like it. Um, I believe the line is that Every member of the ATACR family is in service with the military somewhere in the in the world, mostly elite service folks. Um, but we've we've been very uh, appreciative of the confidence that they've put in our product to be able to use it for some of the more uh, dangerous jobs in the world. And so we're we're glad to be able to offer it. Um, it 
it does come with a price tag. The price is going to be, whereas the, the NX8 maxed out around uh, $2,300, $2,400, uh, these start about $2,400 and go up to about 4000 Some of that's going to be based on the color that you choose or the reticle. If it's got a Horus reticle, right. there's a surcharge involved right. in that, things like that. But when you're investing like that, you're going to get peak performance as well. All right. Now, can you just touch on maybe the Mark 22 mm-hmm. SOCOM deal and what sure. that involved? Sure. So the background of the Mark 22, the Barrett Mark 22 that you see uh, from a couple of places, it's on your website uh, in a full package or just as a standalone rifle. Um, but there are a couple of them where we have offered an ATEC R7-35 that comes direct through Barrett and then to dealers like you guys so that you can have a clone of the actual PVPS scope that we offered to SOCOM. Which was the 7-35. to Correct. So background on that, and there's not a whole lot you can Google about it, but SOCOM did a refresh on a lot of their equipment, and the precision variable power scope uh, was something that they awarded a contract for, and they awarded both our 5-25 to and our 7-35 to in a very specific configuration that's not otherwise offered on the commercial market. So when you go look up the Mark 22 on the website, you will see a dark earth ATAC R7-35 that looks a little bit different. With that odd little nub on top. Yes. So uh, number one is folks like to think it's a beast. There's a misconception there. It's got the 360 brake that right, came the off beast the brake. Yeah, the I4F uh, elevation adjustment that was on the beast. So it's a, a slimmed down version. It also is non-illuminated. Comes with a Tremor 3 reticle, just like the SOCOM version does. And it has uh, comparable engraving to what SOCOM has on theirs. Um, the other part for the Mark 22 itself is it's got the same uh, ultra mount that we offer on the commercial market, just with a slightly different engraving relative to the right, contract. Right, makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. then you said the five to twenty-five was in service. Uh, it was also SoCom selected, well. correct? Yep. So and then you've got the four to twenty in something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that program was called RVPS or Ranging Variable Power Scope. So it's a four to twenty by fifty, just like the commercial version, but again, dark earth, Tremor three, non-illuminated, and with the three hundred and sixty brake. And then the 1 to 8 as well for SVPS, which was squad variable power scope. Uh, and that one had uh, a locking uh, illumination and then a different reticle. There was mm-hmm. more BDC locking based. Locking illumination. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, BDC based for their ammunition. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so gotcha. it had a few features very specific to what they were looking at on that. So the, mm-hmm. those are kind of the big three of current SOCOM programs. You know, like Drew said, with a few subtle varieties that right. were right. You know, spelled out very specifically in the contracts. Uh, but we do offer mm-hmm. versions thereof. You know, last year we brought out the uh, dark earth right. color. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that was a very popular request from some customers, and so now we offer it. Very cool. Well, mm-hmm. it's good to see they are well trusted. Obviously, you already knew that, but nice to kind of lay that out there for everybody because there's a lot of chatter about it, but. Getting straight facts is kind of tough on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, by nature, those guys are kind of secretive. Yeah. Right. Like, like to keep nice it kind of quiet. But, mm-hmm. but, I mean, nothing. We haven't Comfortable shared anything feeling. that's not public. Right. You can right. dig right. deep right. enough, mm-hmm. you can find information right. on it. But. Um, that we, we did skip uh, something I kind of wanted to go into. I know I've kind of, since I've been a Night Force user for 21 years, um, I, I've, I noticed some of them in, in, in our talking before, some of the scopes have more kind of U.S. content or U.S. contact, mm-hmm. let's say. And I know the 2.5 to 10 NXS was one of them. And then some of the attackers, can, uh, can you go into that? Just kind of which, which, ones, which ones are you handling more or doing more uh, in, in the U.S. facility? Sure. Um, with the ATEC R family, that's where you'll see the most of it. Right. Um, the 5 to 25 F1, the 4 to 20 by 50 F1, 
4 to 16 by 50, which is a second focal plane scope, the 4 to 16 by 42, which is also an F1, and the ATEC R1 to 8 uh, are all built in the United States. You see our country of origin statement on the bottom. Right. I know uh, you've kind of standardized that. So. Yeah. Yeah. The federal government gave us right. some guidance about how to appropriately mark these. And so it says developed, assembled, and verified in the USA. Um, what that really means is that somebody from the factory in Idaho put it all together with the parts uh, that we may have sourced from uh, a vendor in some part of the world. There's some parts that are hard to get here in the U.S., um, but otherwise it's, it is from here built by us. Very cool. And then is the other than that is that little NXS and those little, mm -hmm. the little comp because you used to have yeah, a one they, to four, mm -hmm. and then two and a half to ten by twenty four. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the, the only other one outside of the attacker. And the comp four and a half by twenty four. The service comp rifle guy. Scope. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Very the cool. the biggest thing in the optics world is it's so hard. To, there's there's not the vast U.S. manufacturing capability mm -hmm. that a lot of people might think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the U.S. is the greatest country in the world for manufacturing and all these capabilities and science and technology. Like, we can do an incredible amount, but <clears throat> cost-wise and capability, like, it is it is a global market. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of this stuff is offshore. And, you know, it's not that it's a problem or a bad thing. It's mm -hmm. a, the reality of a global economy. And mm -hmm. we basically will – we go where we need to go to get the quality. Right, right. And, you know, we see it as it's, it's our approach and really any company's approach to – Demanding quality and what are you willing to to I'm maintain and, and, and deliver and yeah. accept or mm -hmm. not accept yeah. and you know we will go where we and your end the, result speaks for it really yeah mm -hmm. it's it's a lot of work you know it, and it's volume too you know if yeah. we only want to make ten of anything we could probably do that but mm -hmm. you know we have more than ten customers out there and we want to make more more and more so we've got to go where right. we can get what we need to right. get um, I get it but I, I I appreciate that little aspect of it as well because that's fading even more as we go on here. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and then ones that weren't present, basically the Bentress and the comp. So eight yeah. to 32, 12 to 42, mm -hmm. the old BR, which is still, still a killer value and still a very yep. reliable scope. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think the line that we used for a long time was that the Bentress family has won more thousand yard championships than basically anything ever, which it Probably still true. Makes sense. It was yeah. the first scope that could really take it, not need some some extra futzing with it to make it work right. Take it apart and glue it back together and do some crazy yeah. stuff right. with it. And yeah. yeah, I've never seen frozen turrets on right. night four scopes. Right, right. So, um, that's the first scope that I owned. That I'm like, oh, I dial it this far, and that's how far it goes. Look and at that. It worked. Yeah, yeah. No, you don't. Don't really need the correction factor on the turrets yeah. on them. But yeah. but no, just right up the road at the uh, the old uh, thousand yard rolled open. I mean. If you've been around the company for a while, which I know you've seen some of the old catalogs. I mean, we used to put the groups, mm -hmm. the group size, the mm -hmm. world record group size on the cover of the catalog. It's like, mm -hmm. hey, these things can do it. Yep, I had one of those. My, yep. my world record didn't last that yeah. long. <laughs> but it worked. You get you another one. We'll put it up. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it lasts longer this time. Yeah. So then we get with the bench rest, then you've got the 15 to 55 comp and mm -hmm. three reticles, four. right? Four reticles. Yep. So we've got uh, the FCR1, which is very much the most popular because of its F-class heritage. We've got a simple crosshair, crosshair with a dot, and a dual dot version. Some of these are going to be uh, varmint shooter appropriate. Right. Uh, if you're shooting in broad daylight and you're not too worried about illumination and other things, that would be a good choice. But otherwise, bench rest and F-class uh, are where those find their home the most. Right, and they're still, and they've been out for since 10 years. In their current yeah, form about. since 2014. Yep, yep. And, uh, yeah, when they added the zero stop and the proper reticle that they should have mm -hmm. done in 2013 mm -hmm. um but uh yeah then they're still very popular in that realm yeah mm -hmm. uh the 
I mean, as as we film this, the USF class team and the rest of the uh, international contingents are in South Africa shooting with them. I mean, nice. uh, we know I think some of the South Africans, Australians, also using them mm-hmm. as well as other individuals. So nice. Uh, still very much at play in, in that community. And then, yeah, that last little service rifle scope. I mean, it, you know, for us, competitive shooting, you know, the military stuff is important. The law enforcement business is important to us. and But the competitive shooting heritage is also important. You know, we've been talking about it for all these years we've been involved in it, but, like, that service rifle scope really is kind of a, a point Very limited like, use, but, it's it, Very yeah. limited, but it's for a very narrow game. Yep. And the best in the game came to us. Hey, can you make something that fits? And we did it. Um so it's it's still very important to us that you know at the end of the day all these products are made to help people perform help people perform. Um, well, I think we covered everything there. Something, a few things talking with the guys today. I wanted to go over and have you guys explain or mm-hmm. some. I guess we'll call it FAQs, but maybe it's some issues that people think are issues, but they're not really issues. Maybe explain mm-hmm. why they exist. Uh, and the, I would say the biggest one that we hear about is people hate that rotating ocular for some reason. Um, and I've, I've kind of always seen it as, uh, the original throw lever before there was a throw lever. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on that? Sure. It's, it's about design priority, uh, which is, it's an interesting thing to think about because it's not always explained like why you did it that way. Some people think that's why we're doing it now, possibly arbitrary (laughs) or something like that. Couldn't do it any better, but, uh, it, it launched with the NXS when we were ruggedizing uh, that design so that people could do things that they hadn't done with rifle scopes very successfully. We wanted to be able to have more threat engagement so it could be more waterproof. Uh, the eyepiece also happens to be the most vulnerable part of the scope physically, so it's more impact resistant because of it. And altogether, it just makes a more durable package. It's more robust in every aspect, really. Exactly. Yeah, the requirements that some of our customers had uh, led us to put this on some of the scopes would have the highest demands. Jumping on airplanes, swimming yeah. on submarines, that kind of high demand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But like you said, you know, from the original <coughs> throw lever part, I mean, we while we have some people that don't like it, we also still have people that do like it. Mm-hmm. You know, the the cattails, throw levers, whatever you want to call them. You know, these kind of inter- mm-hmm. a lot of them are now becoming integrated. Right. Um, but that being said, you know, if the entire eyepiece rotates, it's easy to it's grab. It's the most you know, gross motion power. you can get, yeah. Yep, mm-hmm. You don't have to, when you're on the gun looking through it, you don't have to, like, reach up and feel, okay, where am I turning the right part? Grab the eyepiece, low power, find your target, zoom in on it, shoot, come back down, find yeah. another target. Um, so it, it's, it, has, it has its fans as well as its, uh, those that yeah. don't care for it. Yeah. But, like, on the NX-8, we kind of went halfway. So we kept the locking diopter adjustment. But it still, but it, then it has the independent mag right, ring, but right. with the power throw lever, kind of addresses that feeling right. for it concern. Which so. you include. And you also, for the people that don't like the articulating ocular, you mm-hmm. have the nice caps that yeah, let you the re-index rotating. them quickly as well. Now you comes with was, branded Tenebrex covers that yep. can be removed. Yep. They're yeah. super rugged. So if you don't like that spinning stuff. around, you can just rip it off and put it back on. Yeah. Yep. And generally, that's like talk about sh- competitive shooting. So that's part of my kind of going into a stage is taking that ocular eyepiece off. Just and then you don't have even to worry if about it was it. fixed, yeah. it, you know, even if it was fixed, it doesn't accidentally get closed yeah. in the way. Yeah. So it just comes off, shoot the stage, come back on, you know, when we're done, close it up and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. And there was one other consideration you wanted to make sure we mentioned about the locking diopter. Oh yeah. Locking so, lock ring on the uh, rotating. Yep. So the, um, you have your front, 
magnification ring here, grab it, change your power, and then you have a locking ring for your diopter adjustment. So it's not fast focus, right. kind of that European style. Um, so the, the downside, I guess if people were to complain, is if you were to break it loose, say you set this ring kind of loose or right. just kind of put it right. together, um, depending how far you go in one direction, you could loosen that eyepiece barrel. Your, and your yeah, so now focus. you're changing your diopter, not right. your magnification. Right. So... Mm-hmm. Uh, so our, make sure you tighten your lock ring there. Exactly. Yeah. So once you find your diopter, what we recommend is backing this lock ring into it, holding it in place, right. and then loosening with your hand and kind of snapping them together, yep, adding gotcha. a little more friction, yep. make it a little bit tighter. And generally mm-hmm. when that happens, that, that problem goes away because, again, just you're just putting a little more contact on it. But the nice part is it's a set and forget. Once you set it, you lock right. it in place, right. and you don't have to touch it again. Because well, those the, uh, the, the quick set deal. I mean, you can that you can bump. Enough. Yeah, yeah, very very easy. Or you know, if you were to kind of chain rotate your um, flip cap or something, you could accidentally bump yep. that. So, yep. well, I think that uh, I think that covers that. The other thing that I've heard, uh, well, actually, first the fully rotating ocular is only on the ATAC R's and the right? NXS and NX8. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Sorry, NXS and the original and the NXS. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to clarify that. So then the other thing I've heard a lot is uh, some of the scopes don't have yardage markers on the parallax, mm-hmm. and some of them do. It looks like the ATAC-Rs do have yardage. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, NX-8s, NXSs don't. Correct. Right? Hash marks. And yep. uh, A gradiating thicker hash right. mark. So there's still directionality indicated, mm-hmm. but a lot of people get, uh, can get bent out of shape sometimes mm-hmm. on why are there no yardages yeah. on there? What's yeah. any, any thoughts on, on that? On the flip side, when you mm-hmm. put numbers and the yardages don't line up, then they get they bent out of yeah, shape yeah. too. Right. So it's right. it's a double-edged sword. It but, is. Um, it is. You know, we tried it with the ATAC R's. They're approximate, you know, right. the, you know, with your parallax adjustment, environmental conditions, your diopter adjustment to your own eye. You know, some of those mm-hmm. will create variation on where that exactly lines up. Um, but... Uh, yeah, and some of them, like our MOA scopes on the ATAC R line, they're marked in yardage or yardages and then meters on, on the, the mill uh, scope. On the mills. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the day, they're all approximate. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the hash marks, like what I'll do is I'll take a paint pen, kind of figure out where my 100, 100 yard is, that's a good put yeah. a one, or yep. you know, kind of pick a mid range, you know, like a four or 500. So then I just have a quick, quick dial to feature. But, um, you know, it's, it was actually a pretty big internal debate on the NX8. It was like, well, the NXS didn't have it, and this is replacing kind of the right. NXS, but the ATAC R's have it. But right. you know, but then at the time we we're getting a lot of complaints that the yardages don't line mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. perfectly. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's yeah. grossly off. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's it's 200 instead of 100. Like, well, I mean, you're talking about a sixteenth of an inch worth right. of travel, right? Um, and at that distance, it's still kind your, of a greater your condition. Magnitude. Yeah, like where I'm at in Georgia, it's it floats between 75 and 100 meters depending on summer or winter. Like it's just a known thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it. You're kind of, it's a catch-22, depending on what you decide to do, but uh, probably the best advice would be on, like, the hashes, take a paint pen, just indicate a a quick mark and kind of cover that. But ultimately, what you should be doing, regardless if it's marked, is properly checking for parallax removal. So kind of nodding the head, making sure you don't have that parallax in place, regardless of what's marked on the turret. Kind of the numbers just get you started. Right, right. And for you, I know it's going to be, you're going into a stage, but you can't get in there and get set up. So you got to put it where you think it's going to be and, exactly. and roll with it. Position, so, yeah. yep. Very cool. Anything else uh, that you guys want to throw in that we didn't talk about? Mm. I have something I do want to mention quick before we wrap up because just I, in the meeting, I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, 
can you kind of walk our listeners through uh, qualities that you guys are talking about? You're talking about the scope thickness. You're talking about the way the glass is attached and all that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Can you kind of walk everyone through what Night Force is doing that you don't? And see you like their else? slogan too, right? Yeah, and the slogan uh, has a lot to it, and I know you guys like to talk about that. If you can unpack that also. Well, we'll start with the slogan. Uh, so that's rugged, reliable, repeatable. Uh, it's been our, our mantra, our way of life, our focus of being for quite a few years now. Um, you know, it, some permutation of that story is our story, as in, you know, it's got it. The scopes have to be rugged. They have, they're going on guns. They're going on adventures. They're going on missions. They have to be able to withstand recoil and the abuse. They have to be... Uh, you know, reliable. You got to be able to count on them and trust. You know, as a competitive shooter, I want confidence in my gear. Uh, well, if I can't trust my gear, you know, it's, I'm not going to perform the best that I can. And then repeatable is just doing it over and over again. So ultimately, we want a product that works that you can count on anytime, anywhere, anywhere in the world. Um, you know, when the conditions are worse, it's still going to perform. And that's what that rugged, reliable, repeatable is telling that story in three simple words. Uh, and and it drives everything we do. What from it's you know looking at do we have flip up covers that are strong enough for the scope? Does the quality of the product, the feature set, deliver on that? And you know, we make our own accessories and mounts. You know, are, do they live up to that standard as well? Uh, and we always you know we don't we never lose sight of that. That that's ultimately right. what we're trying to do. Right. We don't want to cut those corners or sacrifice the material quality or the processes that we that we put into place so that again you can you can trust that optic right out of the box. Uh, but to go into you know what what we were talking about some of the training with the staff here, uh, a few few things that we like to point out when somebody's looking at the scope, um, you know ultimately a rifle scope is replacing sights or it is a sighting system. So you know if you didn't have a scope you'd have iron sights. A lot of people equate iron sights to being very reliable, very rugged. Uh, and so for us, what that means, while as an optics company, optics matter the mechanics can't be overlooked. So we look at it as the optics are very important, but so are the mechanicals. And so like starting with the turrets, you know, we've we've talked about, we test them and QC them, but like we'll make, these things are essentially micrometers. You know, we're moving right. some internal right. components up and down or left and right. And that in turn makes those adjustments for our longer range shots. Well, we want it to be in a predictable manner and we have to essentially make these things perfect. So we want to be able to, so at, you know, two clicks, three clicks up from your zero, you get exactly a quarter minute or, ten, you know, tenth of a mil per click to you spin this turret three times, you get that exact amount and you still have that nice tactile click feel. You can, you know, you still get that precise adjustment regardless of where you're at in the range. Um, we do that through, you know, metals. There's not any plastic in these turrets. And, you know, as they come off the machine, we actually have people that literally hand fit these parts together. And as it goes together, there's no, oh, this turret didn't work well, so let's try these other parts. It's like, nope, we'll start over because like, they're they're that precisely fit right. together. So you can, you know, I was kind of joking earlier, call it almost like a silky ratchet sound. You know, and there's no better description it. either. So <laughs> you just kind of work through. You get those nice solid clicks wherever you're at. You know, you just kind of, you feel that's like, yep, that's that's a night force. Uh, so, so that's, you know, the body tube itself, um, you know, you, when you look at it, 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 you hold a body tube by itself. Well, it's a hollow piece of aluminum. It feels very light, but on something like these ATAC R's, it's 20, 25% of the weight. Well, we've not always been equated with the most lightweight scope in the world, but when you're two to three times thicker at 25% of the weight of the scope, so a 30 ounce scope, like that's eight ounces, you know, like that's a fair amount of weight. But for us, this is that shell around the egg and that thermal stability 